Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark and on today's episode we're going to be joined by an absolute horror legend, one of my favourite actresses out there, Dee Wallace. And this is an episode that I can't wait for you to listen to because it's one of my favourite interviews and it's a guest that I've been meaning to get on the Mark and Me podcast for quite some time. But you know the score by now. What I like to do is talk about the last episode. And on the last episode, I was joined by Chris Sully. And this was an episode where he'll even say this. He's not one of the biggest names in the industry and he won't be offended by that. He's a good friend that does a couple of great podcasts. He works at Funko and he's someone that I find very, very interesting. Now, the good thing was, is the actual feedback from the interview has been absolutely fantastic. So do you know what? It's been great to see that not just the huge names get the huge amount of downloads. And personally, when I read all the feedback and the emails and the Facebook comments and the Twitter comments, Chris has had probably one of the most. And seeing how many people enjoy the stories he shared and just the general conversation we had was a real credit. So thanks for everyone that tuned in. And I'm really glad that you all did and enjoyed the episode just as much as I did recording it. But let's get on to today's episode. So as I said at the start, I'm joined by Dee Wallace. Now loving films such as, well let's talk about Cujo, Stephen King, man that horror scared the hell out of me growing up and I was absolutely terrified of dogs for weeks after seeing that film. Critters, what a great film that is, one of my favourite. And E.T., and E.T., as much as I was scared as a kid and it did make me poo my pants, it's still a film that stays with me, not because of that, but because I think it's an absolute classic and Spielberg gave us a a film that just seems timeless and even when you watch it now, it doesn't seem like it's back in the 80s. It really is an amazing film. So to have a star from all these great films come on the podcast is amazing and what I want to do now is get straight to it. So here's me and Dee Wallace talking all things film. So Dee, what I wanted to do is take it right back to the start and what kind of um, movies you watched growing up and what influenced you as a child? Well, my biggest influence was my mother, who was a beautiful actress in Kansas City. And we, I grew up in a very, very poor uh, family. And uh, my grandmother would take care of me a lot of the time. But I really wanted to become an actress from watching my mother... Uh, do all these religious plays at church and people ask me all the time what my first real role was and I say I played the baby Jesus (laughs) right my mother's um, in my mother's play at church and I ended up as the Virgin Mary and then I left to claim my own fame and fortune somewhere Um, and of course we were we were brought up movie wise on things like um, the Wizard of Oz and the real the real family films, you know, that we had uh, back in the day. I was not allowed to watch horror films. I wasn't allowed to watch um, a lot of, of violence of any kind. I had enough violence in my own home because my, my dad was an alcoholic. And during the day, he would be a wonderful, incredible guy and then Toward the evening, he would start drinking and become very irate with my mom, and and which is one reason we also didn't have any money because he couldn't hold down a job later on in his life. So, was a childhood of a real dichotomy. Yeah, and that that kind of sums me up. You know, I I do horror films. uh, I I I swear like an old movie actress, and I have a whole healing practice. Uh, that I consumes a lot of my time when I'm not acting. 
and and I I like that balance of me really well. I I like I I like how I ended up, Mark. So that's obviously quite a hard thing to do, but growing up with that sort of household, and do you think it kind of made you a stronger person for being around your mother and father and having to go through that kind of awful childhood at times? Because that just I just can't even imagine how tough that must have been. Well, you know, I it's interesting what happened to me when I was listening to you say that because I I guess the way I just described it it's in childhood I I wouldn't describe my childhood as awful but um I always felt incredibly loved and um had a huge support system at my church yeah and and through you know friends of my mother's and my grandma was just a rock also so but it it definitely made me stronger yes it definitely made me know that no what no matter what obstacle might be put in my way um my mother taught me both through speaking to me and from her modeling herself that there was nothing I couldn't handle, um, and it was up to me how to handle it. And that's what I—that's what I'm really involved in teaching uh, now. Is that we've got to take responsibility for our own lives. Yeah, I think it's definitely probably helped shape the person that you've become now. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, there was this beautiful kind of combination of naivete and tenacity and I think you know I I taught a year of high school after graduating from the University of Kansas and and then I said I'm going to go to New York and be an actress I didn't say I'm going to go to New York and try to be an actress it just never occurred to me that I wasn't going to be able to do it so um I, I think, again, that's when we're naive in those ways, I think it can be a real plus for you because naivete doesn't bring a lot of fear. When you're naive, kind of innocent belief that the world's going to show up for you. And, um, and it did for me because I thought it would. I, I love your determination and such a... A focused mindset at such a young age and you know you went and did it you know in the 70s as you started acting you had some tv work but to start one of your major roles in for me one of the classic horrors the hills have eyes in 1977 i mean you must have been absolutely thrilled to be on set and seeing this being created around you with such a creative team and such a such a a, a project from the heart well, yes, it you know, at the time it was an extremely low-budget um, film. I think, well, we all stayed in one trailer. We were out in the desert, so I spent a lot of time in my car. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is such a crazy world and a crazy business. This many years later, that little film would be a cult film. It has a huge following everywhere I go. So then a few years later, for me, The Howling is one of my favourite films. I think, you know, the role that you played of Karen, to work in a team that had so much dedication to practical effects, 
that's one of my favourite things, practical effects. When I watch horrors and I see now the less use of CGI in the classics, it still holds up today. And you must be very proud to have been part of that role. I am very proud of The Howling. And we had so much fun shooting it. You know, uh, Christopher Stone, my co-star, and I were engaged. Yeah. And um, a lot of people think I brought him onto the film. I didn't have the power to bring anybody onto a film at that point. But um, I've got a great story. You know, the producer, Dan Blatt, whom I just loved so much, called and said, so, Dee, we've got, we've got a lot of good people cast, but we can't party. It's been nice. What are you looking for? And he said, well, somebody who's young and virile but has a, a, a soft emotional side to him. And I'm going, oh, my God, why did I not put this together before? (laughs) (laughs) So I said, you know, I know this guy I worked with, Chris Stone or Smith, it's some kind of S word, right? So he went off and he found Chris and they brought him in and Chris got it on his own. And then Dan Black calls me the next day. I said, hi, Dan. And you know that guy you suggested? Well, we found him. And we love him, and we hired him, and I I thought I was calling him. I, I guess I have the wrong number, and I said, nope, you've got the right number. And there was this long pause, and he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew that if I said, look, the guy I'm engaged to would be perfect for this role. Yeah. They were never, ever going to have him in, right? And then it would be wrong of me not to mention the role of E.T. And I think, you know, one of the best, hardest working people in the business is Steven Spielberg. And going on that film set in 1982, can you try and describe what it was like? Because I'd love to know what it was like when you first met Steven and what the audition process was like. Well, actually, I didn't audition for E.T. I had auditioned for an earlier film of Steven's called Used Cars. And... um Stephen works very far in the future uh, with his project. Yeah. And when he saw my audition for Used Cars, he said, oh, that's the mom in E.T. Wow. Because he wanted everybody um, in E.T. to be very childlike and vulnerable, which is, of course, pretty much what I'm hired for. So, uh, but strong. Yeah, and and so when ET came along, uh, they called and and offered it to me, uh, and then we were in negotiations for some time, and I'm happy that it worked out because obviously it's one of the highlights of my career. But uh, the first time I I met Stephen was in a little tiny uh, conference room somewhere in an office building over in Universal Studios. And he had a little tiny portable camera set up. And I I did the audition for used cars. I remember him being just sweet and nice and down to earth. And, uh, you know, because even at that time, Stephen Jaws hadn't even come out yet. No. When I first met him. And so Stephen also was just starting um, 
his career in a big way. You know, I mean, he wasn't the Steven Spielberg yet. No. He was a good director who was on his way to the top. So when you were on set of E.T. and you saw the, 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 the alien for the first time and the cast and how well it was being shot and this big budget and seeing Steve in his element, did you think at the time this is going to be a, a massive hit or were you kind of thinking, I don't really know what to make of this or did you just know this is going to be a future blockbuster? That you know, be- the first time I saw E.T., yeah. uh, I, was, I was in pleasant shock. <laughs> because at, at that time you never knew what a special if the special effect was awesome then um, then that was a big plus but special effects back then were just being refined yeah you know and when I saw ET I went oh my god this is brilliant and then when I saw the different ways they worked him I mean there were mimes. Uh, one mime especially that did all the arms and the finger movements and there were many little people that worked et and then there were um technicians who worked in et through hydraulic there was a little boy uh matthew demir who um had no legs and they would put him in upside down in the costume and he would walk in his hands, and that's how they got E.T. classic walk. So, I mean, the artistry that Carlo Rambaldi and Spielberg uh, created around E.T. was was miraculous at that time. I, I was looking today when I was doing some research, and I didn't realize over the three-year period, you had The Howling, you had E.T., and Cujo in the matter of three years. Now... We're now in 2019, and these still are looked at as some of the classic, classic 80s films. And to to be on set of Cujo, which is a great Stephen King book, I, I was did you did you get chance to do the research and read the book, or did you go in and try and take the approach of playing Donna completely fresh for yourself? Yeah, I purposely read the book. I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Yeah, but I purposely did not read the book because uh, so many times, things than not, something is on a book, but so much has changed that you don't want to bring in stuff that you know from the book that's not on the page uh, of the script. And as you know, the the boy dies at the end of Cujo. Yeah, and we we were very mental in that changed script and Stephen King actually um, that's the most hate mail he's ever received for any of his work so um, Cujo for me I'm I'm incredibly proud of my performance in Cujo for me it's probably the greatest thing I've ever done performance wise I just feel like I went as far as I could go as honestly as I could get there and that's always goal as an actress any part I play and what what was it like on set working with this dog and these guys in costumes and stuff because recently they've re-released a a blu-ray over in the UK and it's got some great special features and making ofs and 
is a really good behind the scenes features of seeing how they did it and it can't have been easy working at some of the shots it must have taken and the the amount of times you had to get those shots right you must have had a a lot of patience on set um let me tell you this dog and the dog the the real dogs did almost all of the show those dogs were so impeccably trained by carl miller um there were several dogs all of them trained to go after toys to do different kinds of tricks yeah now that was because hey you overwork the dogs you don't want to overwork the dogs and uh, two that uh, you know one dog it's just easier to have several dogs you know uh, that they can perfect action they'd go get in <laughs> would look all ferocious but there it was a big game for them so we had to tie their tails down with fish wire because you could see them wagging their tails all the time, these just rabbits. And it did. It took an, a lot of patience. Um, it took a lot of adrenaline. Um, I would, They treated me for exhaustion for three weeks afterwards uh, because, you know, your body doesn't understand um, that you're acting. Your body through the same chemical reactions as it would if you are really fleeing for your life for six weeks and that takes a toll on your adrenals and um, and on your energy but uh, you know that the filming could have been a nightmare uh, it wasn't because of Lewis T and Carl Miller and Dan Blatt and in the cast, I mean, I got up every morning and thanked God I got Danny Pinto. He was just amazing. But yeah, you know, when, oh, so sorry. It's fine. It's it's good you know, timing when, when we're talking about Cujo. <laughs> when you're when you're working every scene almost with a kid and a dog, you have to be on absolutely every single moment because when the kid and the dog works, they're going to print that. Yeah, And if they're not quite there, they're going to print it anyway. One of my favourite filmmakers in the world is Peter Jackson. Um, I think he's uh. an absolute genius. And to, to, to know that you got to work with him on The Frighteners, I obviously at the time he hadn't done stuff like Lord of the Rings, but he was established and he is genuinely, I believe, a, a genius. Um, oh, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. It's uh, such a nice, beautiful beautiful man to work with yeah um yeah i was i was really emotionally affected by watching how peter ran his set and how he took care of everybody on his set and how genuinely he cared about his actors and his company and he's just you know my my husband uh passed away during the filming of the frighteners and so i had to come back and do his service well first of all i came back because he had a heart attack then i went back to finish filming 
And then I had to go back again when he died three weeks later, um, come back again. And then I went and then I went back again. They paid for my business class flight four times across half the country. Well, half the world. Yeah. And and um, I went in to settle up with him, with them at the end. And they said, no, Peter just wants to give this to you. Um, really, D, we didn't even feel like you would ever be back. We had a whole plan about how uh, the back of you and, you know, have somebody in for you because we really didn't think you could. I was raised in Kansas. Yeah. And in Kansas, you're taught that you finish what you say you're going to do if you say you, you're going to do it. So I've lived my life, uh, lived my life by that. My, my younger brother just, we go committed suicide. And I was in the film. And um, my daughter came over to tell me. And we spent an hour together talking to the family and everything. And then we went to the set to shoot. That's a very strong work ethic, Dee. Well, yeah, and and also just from a consciousness point of view, um, there's been so many times earlier in my life where I've allowed things that have happened to me to keep me from creating who I wanted to be. And I've learned over the span of my lifetime I'm, I'm not going to allow that anymore. Uh, I will grieve. I will deal with what I need to deal with. And yeah. I will celebrate what I want to celebrate. But nothing is going to keep me from creating who I am. That's an amazing way to think. And, you know, if more people did that, I think probably the world would be a better place. Well, I, I know the world would be a better place if we all just took responsibility for who we are and really worked on ourselves from the inside out instead of pointing the fingers at everybody else and everything else and using that as an excuse why we can't um, be the people we want to be. It doesn't serve us and it doesn't serve anybody else. After that, you did a lot of TV roles, and even though I'm based in the UK, my favourite comedy of all time is The Office. I think the cast, the magic they have, and the storylines of... They get the sensible side, but they also get the heart-pulling strings, but they also get the laugh out loud. Now, you got to be in an episode of The Office, and I just wondered what it was like to be part of that, even just for a day, because everyone on that set looks like they're having the best time of their life. Yeah, everybody had a lot of fun. I mean, they were family, you know. They'd been together for years Yeah. Uh, when we walked. I, what I was quite uh, surprised to find is that it really is mostly scripted. Yeah. Uh, because it looks like it's improv. But it, it, uh, really, most of, at least the the one that I did was mostly scripted and written out. I, I thought uh, everybody went in, and I had just finished a series called Sons and Daughters, where um, we came in, and it was kind of, you got the story, and you got the breakdown, and then everybody came brought their best improvised ideas, and we narrowed it down from there. 
And I thought that's probably what it was going to be like uh, from watching the show. But no, most of it was actually scripted. And one of your most recent roles is Beyond the Sky, which you filmed in New Mexico. Yes. How... I love this movie. Yeah. I really love this movie. And I, I think the premise was, was quite brilliant that they go off to prove that uh, aliens don't exist and find out they do. Because I, there's no question in my mind that uh, I, I think Steven Spielberg got it right. That all the, you know, the aliens that are around us cannot interfere with our lives, but they're here to better our world and guide us in whatever ways they can. Unfortunately, my business has made them out to be bad, scary guys, but I know that E.T. really got it right. And with a, with a career that's gone over for nearly 40 years with some amazing roles, what what is the kind of... Do you have any regrets, or are you very happy with looking back at what you've done? Um, I would. My only regret is that I, um, at one point in my career, um, was accepted in uh, as a part of the circle with Meryl Streep and Jessica Lange, and uh, you know, quite Susan Sarandon and. And then some things happened in my career that um, kind of negated that, made it a little hard. Uh, that's that, that uh, sometimes the really projects aren't available to me right now. Uh, we're close to getting back there. Uh, so if anybody wants to bring me on to a big... English production. I'm your girl. Definitely, one hundred percent. But but you know, other than than my life and what I've learned and how I've grown and uh, and the pride in my work, um, I wouldn't change any. And also, what about your healing? Because it's not just obviously you've got hundreds and hundreds of performances in TV and film, but you've just mentioned your healing as well. So tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I've been doing my healing work, gosh, for over 30 years now. Um, my website, I am, A-M, I am, dwallace.com, is all my healing work. I have, actually, I have lots and lots of clients in, in the UK. Yeah. And all across England and Europe. Yeah. And I teach people, it's a, it's a real combination of spirituality and brain science. And I teach people about self-responsibility, self-creation, how to change their, their brain so that their brain thinks and perceives in the ways that are most powerful for them. Um, I'm a clairaudient channel, so I'm able to go into a person's energy and really find out where their blocks are and uh, help them to refocus First of all, to balance that energy and let it go and refocus themselves into what they want to create themselves to be. It's incredibly powerful work um, and, and a great balance to my profession of acting. 
And recently, is your daughter writing a book? Is that what I believe? Yes, thank you for asking. Yes, she's got an amazing book that's going to help heal, I believe, a lot of people. But it's just a great ride, especially for millennials. Uh, It's called Eat, Pray, Hashtag FML. And it's all about, um, she was married for a year and a half, and we found out that her husband had been having an affair for six months. And so she got divorced, and after the divorce, fell in love, madly in love with this guy, who talked her into going for a month to Europe with him. And two days before, he said, you know, I really need to go by myself. So dumped here by two loves of her life, abandoned right we've all been there every woman's been there and a lot of guys have been there and it's about her saying well you know screw it i'm going to europe by myself and find out who i am and uh it's about her adventure about putting all that together and putting her life back together and and you know really starting to reinvent who she is but it's a lot of fun. It's a really fast read, and it, it'll be available on at Amazon on June 28th. That's amazing. You must be very proud of her for putting that in, you know, telling the whole world about what happened. I am, uh, because I think it's, you know, I find in my healing work, when I use myself and tell all the stories, uh about my trials and tribulations that's where people learn the most and that's what she's doing so you know the apple doesn't fall very far as they say from the tree my final question for you today is a lot of people listen to this podcast that are trying to get into the film industry and obviously it changed a lot since the 70s 80s it really is a a really quick fast industry now and for someone that's still working after so many years and in so many different roles what advice do you give to those people that want to become the next big actress out there and get their name out there because it's it's not an easy industry is it well it was easy for me yeah and i i think that's one of the first steps is if you keep saying it's hard you're going to make it a lot harder yeah um the first thing i would say is know that they want you to be you. Most actors, you know, I used to teach acting. I had the largest studio for 18 years in L.A. And most actors um, really think that they're supposed to go in and be somebody else to please the directors and the producers and the casting directors. But that's not true. They're they're dying for you to come in and authentically be yourself and bring the, the role alive. So... That's the second thing I'd say. And the third thing is you've got to look at who you are and get yourself in alignment with being a a star and a working actor if that's what you want to be. For example, if you were raised in a household like I was that taught you you shouldn't make a lot of money because God will love you more if you stay humble and small, that's going to work against you subconsciously when you go out to want to be a successful actor because you're going to subconsciously be going, oh, if I really make it, I'm going to make a lot of money. And 
you know, the little girl in me thinks that's wrong, that I should stay small and, and humble. And so you've got to look at all those trainings and teachings that you got when you were younger and make sure they align with you going out and being a star. Yeah. And I think that's very honest advice from the heart. You can hear it as you say it. Well, I know I, that's one of the issues I had to work through, you know, uh, a lot of people think that, especially if you're women, that you're going to be used and abused. And I want everybody to hear out there that never happened to me in my 45 years of acting. Yeah. Now, that being said, I was clear that I didn't believe that and that I wasn't on board with doing any of that. So I didn't attract that into my life. But if you have that fear, you're going to attract stuff like that. And then that will be a reason for you not to pursue the career you want. So that's what I mean. You, The more you know about you and what runs you, the better chance you have at being successful in anything you choose. Right. I think we're literally bang on the minute and you need to go now. But I just want to thank you for your time. Um, oh, it's you're been so a, welcome. It was a lovely interview. It's a pleasure. So happy to be here with all your your listeners and thank you for being fans and and being the the awesome people that support us that you are so there it is there's my interview with me and d wallace and what a great guest as i said at the start of today's episode this is a guest i've been meaning to get on mark and me for quite some time so i'm really glad that we could make it happen and i hope you guys out there really enjoyed the interview she really is someone that i've been meaning to get on and when they do come on they live up to your expectation it's a dream come true Now, one thing I try and do with Mark and me is I never talk about politics. I never try and talk about current events because if you listen back to an episode that's two years ago, you'll hear us talking about the stuff that's happening currently. And I don't want it to be. I want the podcasts that they're always timeless. So there's no kind of timestamp put on them. But one thing that I can't ignore right now as I'm sitting here recording this is the coronavirus. So I do want to literally make this the first episode where I talk about current affairs, politics and all those sorts of things. What I want to do is pledge to all the listeners out there that support me on Patreon or if you support me by just listening to the podcast. This podcast will not be defeated. It will not go on like a hiatus. I will not stop recording because of this. If I'm isolated and having to do more episodes at home and it gives me the time and allows me to record even more for you guys at home, then I will. That's my attitude for this and it won't change. What I would like to say is that I've seen some people drop out from my Patreon. That's absolutely fine. Some people have messaged me and said it's because of finance reasons and their companies aren't doing very well. I totally get it. But if you do enjoy this podcast, obviously as well, I'm taking a hit and it's difficult to afford to go out and do these interviews and keep hosting them. And it's very, very tight. So what I do ask is if you do enjoy it, please head over to my Patreon page. You can go on markandme.com and there's a link on there. It's so important that even the smallest donation goes back into the podcast, allows me to travel, allows me to host the podcast and get more and more episodes for you. I don't take any money from the podcast. I know I've said it a lot, but I see people gain and do Patreons to basically live off. It's not a living for me. It's a hobby that I enjoy, but I do actually pay out to host it. So anything that comes back is really, really appreciated. If you want to go on markandme.com as well, on there there's my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram, 
all the different ways of contacting me and I do read all the feedback. I share it with the guests and honestly, I feel like right now I've got so many absolute huge interviews for you all to enjoy over the next few weeks that if times are difficult I hope this podcast can be a bit of positivity and a bit of a a release from all the crap that's going on in the world but like I said I don't want to talk too much and make it all about that that's why the podcast is here as a distraction so until next time stay safe I love you all and I'll see you all in a week's time i